feels. Now, all of us have experienced shame. Um, maybe we experience it regularly. Maybe our lives have been, you know, as we look back over it, we remember things that we're ashamed of. Uh, there are some episodes in my life I look back and I cringe. I was at a rehearsal dinner one time and, and I tried to say something cute and it just came off all wrong. And uh, I was talking to the groom about his ex-girlfriends and that just did not go over very well. And I, every time I see those folks on Facebook, I just cringe. I'm so ashamed of the things that I said and I just want to apologize forever for that. You know, those of us who like to go to the beach... Uh, you know, maybe we experience shame and we walk out there because we've had uh, a little too much fried chicken and donuts or whatever it is that we love and we're ashamed of our bodies. But the, uh, what we're ashamed of reveals something about ourselves. It, it reveals, you know, maybe it reveals our vanity. Maybe it reveals our, uh, you know, the past sins that we've committed. Maybe uh, it reveals the, the idols that we have, you know, the things that we want. We want people to approve of us and we're ashamed of times when we acted out that, uh, that made people not approve of us. Uh, but we've, we all know what shame is about. Well, Paul begins his letter here, uh, uh, his statement of the theme of this letter, by saying, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. As I said, verses 16 and 17 are an overview of the entire letter to the Romans. And here in these verses are the theme. Uh, we're going to break down verse 16. Now, throughout the book of Romans, especially here in chapter 1, you'll notice that the word for is used over and over and over again. Paul's building an argument, and he uses this word for to introduce each line of thought that he has and each point that he wants to stress. And that's what I'm going to use for my outline. Every time he uses the word for, uh, I want to make that point to you. And he makes two points here today. And the first is, the gospel is nothing of which we should be ashamed. He states, first of all, I am not ashamed of the gospel. For, I am not ashamed of of the gospel. If we back up a few verses, we see that Paul has been expressing his desire to come and see the Romans. He's never been to Rome, and he longs to come there so he might preach the gospel to them. Why is it so important for him to preach it to these Romans? Well, he expresses he's not ashamed of it. Uh, it's something that he wants to tell them and speak to them about. He doesn't want to hold back. He wants to share it. That's why he wants to preach it. It's something that's, that he has a burning desire to share with them. He's not ashamed of the gospel. Now, why would Paul have to say that he's not ashamed of the gospel? Why would he feel the need to say that he is not ashamed of it? Why would anyone be ashamed or embarrassed by the gospel? Well, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul, writing to those folks there in Corinth, states that uh, the gospel is a stumbling block and foolishness to people. Uh, stumbling block to the Jews, foolishness to the Gentiles. And just as he states here in Romans chapter 1, he says that he preaches the gospel anyway. 
he preaches the power of God. He preaches it even though people think it's a, you know, something to be stumbled over or to scoffed at. People stumble over the gospel. They did it in Paul's day. They do it in our day. People don't like the gospel. People will make you feel ashamed for believing the gospel in our day and time because they don't like what the gospel says, first of all, about them. The gospel tells us that we are so wicked and sinful that only the death of the Son of God could save us. Ask most people if they're going to heaven, if they actually believe in heaven, and they will say, of course I'm going to heaven, I'm a good person, never murdered anybody. Well, the gospel says that you're not a good person. If you could save yourself by your good works, then Jesus didn't need to come and die on the cross for sin. All humans, including you, are such moral failures that the only way to have salvation is to receive it as a free gift. You can't earn it. You can't get to a place in your life where God is obligated to give it to you. It, is, it has to be given to you freely. We don't like that because it speaks to my lack of ability. It speaks to my failure. The modern assessment that human beings are basically good is not what the Bible says about human beings. Nor is it what the gospel assumes about humanity. It offends us because it says, no, you can't do it. You're actually just spiritually dead. The meter's on zero. And God has to intervene and breathe life back into you to bring you out of death into life. The gospel also offends some people because it says that you can only come to God one way, through Jesus Christ, by faith in Him. If the gospel is true, then you cannot find God in your own way, as people like to state that they're doing in our day and time. If the gospel is true, then not all religions are the same. They're not all roads that lead up different paths to the top of the mountain. See, to modern religious ideas, this is offensive. Well, how dare you think that you've got the only way? Well, the gospel is also foolishness to some because it tells us that our salvation was accomplished by Jesus' serving, uh, suffering, and ultimately put, being put uh, to death on a cross, executed on a cross. And he, he brings his kingdom through suffering and dying, not through conquering and destroying, which is the typical human way of gaining power. The gospel call to follow him means that we are to take up our cross and follow him, to, to serve and to suffer with him. And this offends people who want salvation to be an easy life. This offends people who want their lives to be safe and comfortable. I don't, I don't want to hear about that. And people who want to get ahead in life with, uh, by gaining power and using it for their own advantage think the gospel notion of serving God and others is a foolish notion. You know, they look at Christians as weak and, and they're right. I heard a preacher say one time, uh, you know, a lot of people say that Christianity is a crutch. Well, if you're a cripple, then you need a crutch. 
And that's true of humanity. We, we need Jesus. We need the gospel. But it's offensive. And then finally, the gospel is foolishness to some because it speaks of Jesus being raised from the dead. Remember when Paul was in Athens, uh, he saw all these idols throughout the city as he walked around. Uh, he saw the people worshiping these idols. He says to the people that he's gathered around him, he says, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. It's true today. People have the same reaction today to the resurrection, to the miracles of Jesus Christ, to his virgin birth, the list goes on. In Paul's day, down to our day, people have accused followers of Jesus of believing in myths, uh, legends, fairy tales, or bedtime stories. Look at the comments page of any article that's written in a newspaper that you see online where someone has espoused Christianity. Full of vitriol and hatred to, to the church and to Christ. Paul was not ashamed of the gospel even though many would try to shame him on its account. And the same temptation to be ashamed of the gospel is ours today. But Paul is not simply stating the negative. He's not just simply saying, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. The opposite is actually true of Paul. Paul isn't simply unashamed of the gospel. Rather, he's elated with the gospel. He loves the gospel. His whole life is about the gospel. He revels in it. He, he desires to broadcast it far and wide. Now, most commentaries on this passage that I've read believe that Paul is, and this is, I learned this, to, this uh, yesterday, they believe that Paul is using a figure of speech here called alitities. All you English majors, you know what alitities is, I'm sure. and You can better explain it to me than I'm going to explain to you now. The definition of a litities is a figure of speech wherein understatement is used to emphasize a point by stating a negative to further affirm a positive. Okay? Clear as mud, right? Well, here's some examples. You might say of a woman, well, she's not bad looking. Well, what you mean is that she's actually very beautiful, but you've made this an understatement for effect. She's not bad looking. Or you might hear a used car salesman say, you won't be sorry you bought this car, meaning, not that you just won't be sorry, but that you'll actually be happy. You'll be glad that you bought this car. You won't be sorry you bought this car. Or, looking through a friend's mansion that he's just bought, well, he spent no small sum of money on this house, well, we know he didn't spend a small amount of money. He spent a lot of money on this house. It's, a, it's an understatement. Paul is making an understatement here. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Well, meaning, not only is he not, he's not ashamed of it, he loves it. He is excited about the gospel. He means that he delights in it more than anything else. It was what his whole life is about. He says it in verse 1. He has been set apart for the gospel. It was the driving force in his life. He delighted in it 
reveled in it, gloried in it. If the gospel were a waterfall, when we go to vacation in North Carolina, we go and look at waterfalls. I'm always envious of the people because it's July and it's hot, and there are people who are just standing under the waterfall and it's coming down on them and they're enjoying splashing around in it. I think of that, that's what Paul is with the gospel. He just loves to stand under it and just be showered in the gospel. He delights in it with all of his heart. Yeah, he's not ashamed of it, but more than that, he revels in it. And not only does he personally delight in the gospel, it's what changed his life. You remember him on the road to Damascus as he's persecuting Christ and persecuting Christians and trying to stamp the church out. His whole life does a 180, and now he delights in Christ. He wants to build up the church. And he wanted to tell it to everyone. He wanted to broadcast it far and wide. Everywhere he went, he proclaimed the good news about Jesus. See, it wasn't just a duty given to him by God. You know, when he was on the road to Emmaus, it wasn't just that Jesus said, I want you to go and preach to the Gentiles. That's what he told them. And so Paul said, well, that's my duty. I've got to go and preach to the Gentiles. No, he, he was excited about going and preaching to the Gentiles. He went out of his way to go and preach to the Gentiles. He took trips to dangerous places to preach to the Gentiles. When his boat was shipwrecked and he was put off course, when he stopped, he preached to whoever was there because he delighted in the gospel. It was his passion. There's a nice verse in, Galatia, in, the, in the book of Galatians, Paul's letter to them, where he describes the people there uh, as my little children for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I mean, he, he was intense about wanting them to embrace the gospel. And he said it was like childbirth. Now all you moms are going to go, well, he's a man, he has no clue what it was like. But you get the imagery. He, he was passionate about the gospel. Well, we might be tempted to say, well, that was the Apostle Paul. I mean, you know, road to Damascus and all that. Um, and, and, you know, we can say that about Paul and Peter and James and John, the other disciples and Apollos and Barnabas and Priscilla and Aquila and all the people in the Bible. But it was also the normal everyday believers, people like the believers in Jerusalem, who fled for their lives when persecution broke out after Stephen was stoned in Acts chapter 7. And they took the gospel to Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. We read there in Acts 7, there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles, not the apostles, just the normal everyday people, and those who were scattered went about preaching the word. They had some good news to share. And as they were driven out of their homes and driven out of the place where they'd lived all their lives, what did they share? They shared about the, the gospel. They had a burning desire to share it. They were not ashamed of it. They loved it. They reveled in it. Now, these were not professional preachers, everyday Christians. They delighted in it, gloried in it, wanted to share it with the world. Why? Why did they do this? Why should we not be ashamed of the gospel, but rather revel in it and joyfully broadcast it far and wide? And Paul explains in the next four statement, verse 16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, 
For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. A couple of words there, or three words there, that I want to highlight that are important. First of all, salvation. We also want to talk about the power of God and, and, and then belief or faith. Three concepts that are included in, in this verse. We'll break it down. Salvation, first of all. It's the power of God for salvation. We're talking about salvation here. That's what the gospel has to do with. It means to be rescued from danger and to re, be restored to a place of safety and well-being. Now, a lot of people think of salvation as being rescued from hell. That's how I understood it growing up. You know, most of you probably had the same experience, especially if you're from the South and you heard preachers. And But it's more than that. Yes, we're saved from eternal damnation. We are saved from hell. But salvation encompasses much, much more than just being delivered from hell. When you think of it only as that, I've just got a free ticket out of hell. It really doesn't affect the rest of your life, now does it? I've seen many people, and I've been to some funerals where I heard preachers say, yes, you know, without a doubt that person's in heaven because they prayed a prayer, walked the aisle. But as you examine the life of the person, the gospel really didn't make any other difference in their lives. And I've heard many people say, you know, I prayed that prayer, I walked that aisle, I, I did this and such, and, you know, I know that I'm okay. I won't, go with, I won't go to hell. But they rarely think about the gospel any more than that in their lives. Salvation is much more than that. If we read through the scripture, salvation is being rescued from sin. We're rescued from the guilt of sin. You know, when Christ paid the penalty for our sins, we're forgiven, no longer guilty of those sins. They, our sin and guilt has been washed away. We have been delivered from bondage to sin. And that's one that a lot of people like to miss out on. We have been saved from the power sin has over us. So we don't just run headlong into sin to keep on sinning. We've been freed from sin. And Paul's going to make that argument. We'll talk about that more in the future because by the time he gets to Romans 6, he says, we've been freed from sin. We're no longer in bondage to sin. Why would we want to live in it any longer? Freedom from sin. Freedom from guilt of sin. Freedom from the bondage of sin. And ultimately, we will be freed from the presence of sin. A Christian is a new creation in Christ. The old has gone, the new has come. And salvation is a rescue from all the effects of sin. The effects of this microphone. The sinful effects. Just give me this one. Turn that one off. There we go. It's much better. So we're, we are rescued from... The effects of sin, ultimately, the, the ultimate effect of sin is death. When Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, death entered the world. So when we're talking about salvation, we're, we're talking about more than just being delivered from hell. We're talking about being changed 
completely and radically. We are no longer under bondage to sin and we have hope for the future because even death cannot keep us from the Lord. And then ultimately, salvation will encompass more than just individual human beings. It encompasses all of creation. Romans 8 will talk about how the creation is longing for the the return of Christ when he will make all things new and creation will be released from its bondage, the curse that was placed on it in the Garden of Eden. So salvation is, we need to see it as something huge, something transforming to ourselves, to people around us, and to all of creation. That's what we're talking about. When Paul says the gospel is the power of God for salvation, he's not just saying it's a free ticket out of hell. It's, it's, as Tim Keller says, it's, it's got the ability to completely change minds, hearts, the orientation of our whole lives, the way we understand and comprehend everything that happens, the way people relate to one another, and so on. But most of all, is the powerful, it is powerful because it does what no other power on earth can do. It can save us, reconcile us to God, and guarantee us a place in the kingdom of God forever. So what we're talking about here is something of vital importance for human beings. Without the gospel, we are in bondage to sin, slaves to it, under the fear of death and the judgment of God that all will have to face when we stand before him. And yes, we are destined for hell and eternal punishment for our sin and rebellion against our creator. That's what we're saved from. And without the gospel, all those things will be true of me and of you. That there is a salvation freely offered by God is great news for us. Because he's the one who's offended. And yet he comes to us to save us. The gospel concerns an all-encompassing, life-transforming, eternity-changing salvation. And it's the power of God. The gospel, secondly, is the power of God for salvation. How does one become saved? How do, we, how do we enjoy as individuals this salvation? How do we know it's ours? It's the power of God for salvation. By faith, we believe it. It's a transforming message. It must be proclaimed. It must be put out there for people to hear and believe. Power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And it's not just for one group of people. It's not just for one race of people. It's for everybody, for all people, to everyone who believes. Jew first, came to the Jews, came through the Jews first of all, and then to the Gentiles. God's word goes forth with power, and it transforms people's lives when they believe it. Isaiah 55 speaks of God's word. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. You think about God's word. How did God create the world? By his word, his powerful word. How is Christ... Uh, how, how are people saved from sin? By his word, by the word of God being proclaimed. How are we transformed and changed by God's word, by the proclamation of the gospel? Like the rain and the snow that goes down and waters everything and then all of a sudden we have uh, 
uh, forest and we have flowers and, and all these things that are a result of the, of the rain coming to earth. God's word comes to us, the gospel comes to us and it changes us. It, it brings life, it brings renewal, it brings change. Therefore, it must be proclaimed, it must be believed. God has done something wonderful for us. We ought to be excited about that, like Paul was excited. We ought to be uh, burning with desire to share it with the world because it's a life-giving message that they desperately need to hear and believe, to put all their trust in the Lord alone for salvation as he is offered to us in the gospel. So the gospel is not something of which we should be ashamed. It is the power of God for salvation. I, I hope that each one of us can take some time to think about what it is that we have, what it is that God is offering, the gift of salvation that he's offering, and believe it. And as you believe it, you will be transformed, a new creation in Christ. The old will go away and the new will come. And, and you will be con continuously renewed until Christ returns and then you will be freed forever from the effects of sin. From its, you're already free from its bondage if you trust in the Lord. You will be free from its very presence and you will live forever. Physically live forever in a renewed heavens and new earth. We can't even imagine what that's like. A world without weeds. Uh, a world without sin. Uh, a perfect place. That's our hope. That's what we look forward to. That's part of the salvation that we enjoy and trust in. And it changes the way that we look at the world. The way that we live our lives. It's a transforming power, the gospel. I invite everyone here to believe it, to believe the gospel, to put your faith in Christ and what he's done in his life, death, and resurrection. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do ask that you would help us today to have faith, to believe. Lord, there are roadblocks thrown up by the evil one, by the world and our own flesh that make us doubt that cause us to not believe. Lord, we pray that you would grant us the gift of faith, grant us the gift of repentance, help us to turn from those sinful things that we love and to find in the gospel uh, something in which we can be eternally grateful, uh, something that we can revel in and delight in because you loved us. You gave yourself for us so that we might be your children. And I pray, Lord, that that we would be inspired to take this message out to a lost and dying world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.